Hello everybody and welcome to Conversations Over Coffee with Dee and Tony. And as always, when we start these conversations, we have no idea what we're going to talk about, which is kind of the exciting thing, isn't it, really? <laughs> well, exciting is one word that we could use, absolutely. What other words could we use? Unnerving. Unnerving. <laughs> Disorganised. That's right. Spontaneous. Spontaneous, that's a good word, because it, it's definitely spontaneous. It's definitely spontaneous, yes, yes. So I guess the first thing that we could talk about is... Uh, Coronavirus. Yes, that's a, instead of the weather, <laughs> sort of, you know, that kind of uh, small talk conversation that you have yeah. with people, which is often about the weather, but I enjoy talking about the weather, which is interesting because I was listening to this Nigerian writer oh, here she goes. during the week. Here we go. It's another podcast you were listening to. Oh, it? It, was a, it was a TED talk. Oh. That's well, different, that's, isn't that... it? Well, it's a bit more classier, maybe. It's I a bit more classier. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was a TED talk. Her name is Chimananda Adichie, and she was talking about how when she was growing up in Nigeria, she read lots of English books, uh, written by you know set in England and written by English authors, and they always talked about the weather. And then she said later on, she realised that in Nigeria they never talked about the weather. The weather the just same. The yeah, same. was very consistent. <laughs> I'm quite happy to talk about the weather, but I do notice that uh, talking about what sort of vaccine you've had. Whether you're an anti-vaxxer or COVID in general has seems to have switched places with the weather and become our small talk yeah. now. So have you had a conversation recently where you've done just that? Just last night. Yes. <laughs> just last night. It, we were talking, we had a meeting of our alliance of care experienced people in higher education. And the small talk, as we were coming online and waiting for people to arrive, was absolutely around COVID and we had a couple of we had somebody from Melbourne who's just come out of lockdown and but's been through a number of lockdowns and we had somebody in Sydney who's in lockdown now as our son is as well and then we had people from the UK who were out of lockdown uh, and so we were talking about and then me who's been in lockdown but not been on campus last week because we were advised to teach virtually and then I'm due to go on campus next, you know, from tomorrow, from next week, and I have to wear a mask in the classroom, which is something that I've never been required to do before. Mm. So that mm. feels a little bit odd. The students have to wear masks too. So, all right, that'll be that'll be, be odd. So, you know, do you know all your students by the top no. part of their face? <laughs> you know, their eyes will tell you. you know, well, how. I won't know who they are probably for a few weeks. I like to get to know the students, so that's just going to be. It's a new set of students. Some of them I'll know, and some of them, because I've taught them before, most of them I won't know. Some of them I might have met last week on Zoom, but on Zoom students don't always have their video on, so they might have been there, and I'll see their name, but I won't know what they look like Mm. anyway. So Mm. I think we might all find it a little bit strange. Well, I guess eventually you just know people... By their by eyes their, and forehead. Or by their know? hairstyle. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Or, or how they slouch or some yeah, other sort of body Where they sit. Language. I mean, at least students and myself too are very reliable when it comes to sitting arrangements, which makes it easier because most students and me as a student and even me as a staff member in meetings sit in the same spot. 
really was kind of climb our little space. Well, I guess if you're the lecturer, you're always in the same well, spot. Well, I'm always, always in the front. Yes, yeah, but I was thinking in other meetings that I might go to regularly. Yeah. Just sit in the same spot. And then and students do that very regularly, which is an enormous help when you're trying to learn their names. <laughs> yes, I remember when I was doing groups, everybody, you know, we had 15, 20 people and everybody always sort of sat in the same position, which... Uh, which didn't really make any difference to because everybody had name tags. <laughs> so maybe get name tags for everybody. Get name tags. I'm pretty good at learning their names. I usually go four weeks, and by four weeks I can get most of them. But what I was going to... I did ask students once why it is, because even in small rooms, they tend to sit in the same spot. So I asked them one once, and one student said, well, I reckon it's because of school, where we were assigned a seat... And that's where we sat mm. for the whole semester. And that sort of habit has continued on. Well, I guess also if you're turning up to a class and you've got the seat that you've provided for yourself, you don't have to consider, like, where am I going to sit today? You know, like, there's no thought process, so is it? You yes. just go and sit in the same spot. Everybody else sits in the same spot. So you're not taking over anybody else's allocated seat. I guess it's just a way of organising yourself so that it's easier. Perhaps, and perhaps there's no. a sense of home as well when you... Home in a suit. Home in a suit. <laughs> you go in, it's familiar, you know your spot. Yeah, maybe yeah. it is. gives you a sense of, small sense Familiarity, of security. Familiarity, yeah, you know. <laughs> like if you've farted on that seat, you'll know that that seat is definitely yours, won't you? You'll well, smell the same, it'll... Well, I hope they... Have they not farted it's, on their seats? Well, <laughs> it, if they are, they're very discreet. <laughs> it's not been an issue I've ever had in a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, of adults, for that. adults. Maybe that is why I definitely prefer to teach adults. No, never had any desire to teach teenagers. I always knew. I remember when I was fifteen because I'd always wanted to be a teenager. A teenager. Uh, you always oh, wanted to be a teenager. <laughs> that was silly, wasn't it? I'd always wanted to be a teacher. You know, right from when I was really little, I wanted to be a teacher. But I remember when I got to age 15, I looked around the classroom and said, no, I can't do this. But I'd never wanted to teach small children either or really considered mm. it. And then once I left, and then I didn't think there was an option. Do you know what I mean? Because there wasn't any examples in my experience of people who taught at a university. So I didn't see that as an option or even at a... Um, even at TAFE or the university, the colleges, where you went for teachers' colleges in those days. So it took me a long time to get around to teaching, but there you go. Now you're a teacher. Now I'm a teacher. I don't have smelly teenagers. <laughs> and you don't... Have, well, anyway, whatever. So, okay, so uh, one of the primary issues happening at the moment is... Um, what? Apart from lockdowns. Hi, New South Wales... Scott Morrison's lack of response to the coronavirus vaccination program, the fact that the, they've now decided on this four-stage exit out of wherever we are right now. Um, so there's been, been a lot, there's been kind of a lot happening, hasn't there? Because we still haven't got on top of the coronavirus in Australia. We've... Uh, and we're way behind on the vaccines. But yeah, there's there's one, you know the country in the world that's ahead of all, all of us? Malta. Well, good on the Maltese. The Maltese have done the right thing. Finally, they did send their children out. They're part of the child migration scheme. So that's a no-no from them. 
Well, that so was, this is a bit of an up there now. Well, they because it's only a very small island. Mm-hmm. It'd be like uh, it'd be like vaccinating Kangaroo Island. <laughs> What's the population of Malta? I've got no idea. Oh. We'll have to Google that okay, later. We'll have to Google that. Probably not very large, I wouldn't think. I don't know. So maybe just I don't know whether it'd be just a few hundred thousand, seven, eight hundred thousand, maybe. I don't know. I honestly don't know. However, they've got eighty-five percent vaccinated. So the rest, and uh, the UK, which is the best of the lot, I guess, has only got 45%. Fully, fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated. Yeah, fully vaccinated, I think. I think that's fully vaccinated. So they've got a higher percentage that's had one other dose, or one only dose. So, um, and don't, don't question me necessarily on that, because I'm just going by memory. Yep, we're not quoting Tony Tonkin as an no, expert we're... on vaccines around the world. Well, don't quote, quote him on being an expert in anything, <laughs> I reckon. Okay. So I, I don't... Did so I, I agree what, too quickly to that? You did, you did. But you know, you're the doctor in the house, so <laughs> whenever there's a medical requirement, we'll call on you, won't we? <laughs> no, we won't. No, I know, I'm not going to talk. I'm not an epidemiologist and I'm not in public health, so I'm not going to talk about any of those things. I guess I... Um, and I've preferred not to on Twitter and to engage in the politicking that's going on around Gladys not doing the right thing by not going down early and... Um, I, I just, yeah, I just think leave each state do their own thing, really. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And some states do better than others. And some outbreaks are different than other outbreaks. You know, did, did Gladys, should Gladys have closed down earlier at the beginning of the outbreak? Well, I think they're going on the on the Bondi experience and thinking that they could just trap Get away with this time. in their local mm-hmm. area and, and they haven't been able to be successful at that. Um, as Gladys said the other day, that there's no script for any of this. No one knows for certain as to you know how things unfold. It's okay to look back on hindsight and think, well, okay, that's a good idea or that was a bad idea because no one knows what is the right thing to do. So mm. we're all kind of flying by the seat of our pants, I guess. And I wonder whether we're too harsh on our politicians over this. You know what politician in the world has got it right, apart from the Maltese, obviously. But um, you know who has? I mean, we had it pretty much right in the first instance, didn't we? Because we limited the number of vaccines, we didn't the vaccines, limited the, the the virus outbreaks in Australia. I so. think we did, and I think that, as we've probably said before, establishing the na- national cabinet was a really good move by Scott Morrison right at the beginning. So, and the states have taken charge uh, very much. I did laugh because somebody on Twitter said that South Australia went into a lockdown when we had one case because we just wanted to, everybody to know we were still here. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably an element of truth in that. <laughs> hey, guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll put our hand up. We've got our one case. To make a conversation about Sydney and Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, don't, I don't, yes, I don't know. I prefer not to engage in those, really. Um and I, I guess it's really interesting now. I know you've already talked about the anti-vaxxers last weekend, which I find quite fascinating that a group in the community that have probably, that possibly, I don't know, have never um, stood up and protested anything before in their lives were out on the streets in Sydney and Melbourne protesting. So that was, oh, and in South Australia and maybe in Brisbane as well. Yeah, I think So there were true. lots of protests, but are, they the, are these the same people who would come out and protest on issues that would be important to me, like Black Lives Matter? Well, that's... And or that the was, women's movement? 
And I raised that in a vlog I did the other day that my disappointment was, well, my disappointment is that none of these people came out and objected when we held rallies around kids' rights. And, yes. You know, when you and I attended that small gathering of people <laughs> in Parliament House. Yes, yeah, so they weren't there for those. Yeah, so for issues that I see as really, as more, as I guess more important, or social justice issues, yeah. really, I don't see. Um, I don't regard the current lockdowns and things. That's a health issue rather than a social justice justice issue from my point of view. I think it stems into a social justice issue. And when, an economic issue, When one I looks at immigrants and immigrants' response to... So there's a real issue now. This is kind of turning tat a little bit, but there's an issue around uh, immigrants who come from autocratic or war-torn countries where they don't trust governments. So getting the message across to immigrants is obviously a struggle uh, in certain, particularly in Western Sydney. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a, is that a, is that like a social justice type issue where you can't get, where you're lacking the, under, you're lacking the understanding of what others' experiences have been depending on where they have come from. You know what I mean? So are, are the people not being willing to put their hands up for vaccine for vaccinations or because to comply with or to comply with health health? Well, they don't want to comply necessarily with government regulations because the countries they come from weren't reliable or were too autocratic or too demanding around requirements. Well, so. is well that's a very interesting juxtaposition because then we have migrants or refugees having a similar sort of attitude to what you call the sovereign citizens in not trusting government. Well, I don't... I think the trusting government is a, a completely different <laughs> reason. I think it's a completely different One reason. One is quite but rational, the have... other one's irrational. So the immigrants would be quite rational in terms of their actual, actual lived experience, experiences. yes. Whereas the sovereign citizens are just a bunch of dicks, really, who, don't, who construct stuff so that they can object to it. Mm. But they would have a point of common interest in not trusting government, which is hilarious. But one wouldn't be... One is from what they've experienced. Yes, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. But they could come together as a group and say, hey, we all distrust the government, even though they come from quite different reasons for that. Yes, and I guess we all could argue, though, that there are reasons why we can mistrust governments because they're not always transparent and honest with us. I mean, all of us could accept that as, a, as an totally. experience that we've... Totally. Why would you trust the government on any inquiries in regard to sexual harassment in the parliament workplace, Yeah, or for any, example? Any inquiries with regard to child sexual abuse and yes. in institutions and other stuff? Why could yes, you trust we all have good reason to be doubtful. My, my thing, though, is though I would be doubtful of any institution, like not just government, when it came to issues about sexual harassment, uh, workplace issues, child sexual abuse, because institutions always look out for themselves. Well, and and not just government, any institution. And corporations. Cor yeah, or everybody. any institution. Yeah, Harvey Norman and his millions of dollars <laughs> that he has to owe us back from JobKeeper. I mean, why? Yeah, so there's plenty of examples where we don't need, where we should not, where we're given the message that we, it's unlikely that corporations, governments and institutions 
we'll all do the right thing. That's true. Because often they won't. They won't, yes. More often. It seems like more so often So we could all not. come from the we social... We could all come from that perspective and go marching on the streets. But well, we I don't could, know what but we don't. Achieve. <laughs> because we know that it's not going to achieve what we need it to achieve. And the governments aren't necessarily going to change. And some of us are a little bit more rational and open and honest about that, I think, than you know, people are sovereign, sovereign citizens just construct crap out of nowhere. You know, they just take a reading from a constitution and and redefine what it means. You know, as we've talked about travellers, you know, what travellers are in the US mm. and how they've misconstrued that. So, so freely travelling in the U- in the United States means that you can't be stopped at a border and you're licensed. No, because the Constitution says you're free to travel anywhere. Yeah. So, and that you're not necessarily driving a car that may even be unregistered and you'd be unlicensed. That doesn't when the matter Constitution you... was written with that clause, what would they have been, how would they have been getting across the borders? Well, there would have been Horse and buggy. fewer borders to start with because there probably may not be as many states as there are now. I don't know because I don't know the history that well. Um, but I, I don't know. Don't know. Yeah, the other thing too is um, that these places like the United States have a Bill of Rights too. And we don't have a Bill of Rights. But, you know, so we should... That's something we should be thinking mm. about too is our is developing a set of rights that apply to all citizens. Um, so those well, sovereign, sovereign citizens would have something in common, perhaps, with, if I think about the slaves down south who use what they call the Underground Railroad well, to Tas- travel. Tasmanians? No, 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 the United States. Oh, the United States, <laughs> In the United States. So would the sovereign citizens, the current sovereign citizens, see that they, if they think they freely can tra- freely travel, have something in common with the slaves escaping slavery from down south through what they called the Underground Railroad, mm. where, they, where they weren't free to travel, were they? No. No, well, they were enslaved. They were enslaved and they were ins- escaping. So there's this notion... Would they be on the side of the slaves? No, no, because they... No, because they view people like the police as being servants to them. So they, they should It's a really the, interesting perspective. So they should have the right to even arrest people. <laughs> well, we can do a citizen's arrest. Yes, I know, but they take it to one step further. It's a bit like... They arrest the police. They arrest the police, arrest politicians, you know, because you disagree with them. Not necessarily because they've broken any specific written law or statute, but just because... Just because you, you don't like them. You don't like them. So you have that right to be able to go and arrest them based on no legal grounds whatsoever, in fact. But they, I guess they try to create a legal grounds and legal reasoning, but there is none, basically. And have they done that, though? They tried to. Is, that, is a, that part of the 6th of January insurrection, was trying to arrest people, was it? Well, they, they were going to go and arrest the politicians, and they're going to, <laughs> they were going to hang Mike Pence, for Christ's sake. So there's no, no rhyme or reason to it, or even any great sense of logic, I think. It's just this pervasive general belief that they should have control of the state. So people people in general should have control of the state. There shouldn't be people that be able to make legislation and control the state, like politicians, legislation, judges, police, whatever. And I don't even know what that society that they imagine would even look like. 
And do you think there's time? Chaotic, that you, yeah. It makes me think of the History of Ideas podcast that you put me on to that David Runciman at Cambridge University talks about. He talks about a lot of these sorts of discussions about the state. So going back to the Hobbes, who was a, a servant, basically, he worked for people and thinking about how we should organise ourselves. Mm. And Hobbes had the idea that really there should be one person kind of in charge. So he was more authoritarian and more like China is today, was, was his so ideas. But that was all of... An auth- yeah, authoritative figure. Yeah, so. somebody who finally makes all the decisions for everybody else. Oh. But in being a state and coming together, I think the idea is that we concede some of our decision-making to the decision-makers. Um, so maybe these sort of sovereign citizens could sit down and listen to some of those... Fl- because people have been thinking about this issue for, you know, for centuries. Mm now very deeply about what the state should look like what sort of power we should have how we all do come together um so we have so in our in a democratic society i i think it's a little bit annoying at the moment when the when the government clearly has done lots of has been incompetent around the vaccine rollout has um done some pork barreling and things that they clearly shouldn't have been done I'm a little bit disappointed that we can't just summarily sack them. Well, we can. At the next election. That's right. That's but we have to wait. Works. I know that. I know, but I mean summarily. Right now, we've had enough. Just get rid of them. Um, so I'm a little bit disappointed that the system means that we do have to wait. And I know we're coming well, we rapidly get... up to the time where we get to make that decision. Well, I guess that's the point. Now, we can get rid... We certainly can apply pressure to get rid of individuals. So if there's... You know, and there are rules and regulations. So if a politician, for example, committed a crime, such as murder, whatever, they can be kicked out of parliament. So there are rules about what you can and can't do. Apparently you can rape people, that seems to be okay. And you, you can, can behave very people. badly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and you can say weird and wonderful things and you're the not public, going to get... The public pressure at the end of the day will bring about resignations and in turn and it brings about, change. And I definitely see that it brings about change because they... Um, the, the pressure on the government to... There was an advert that they put around sexual consent around milkshakes. <laughs> yeah, sexual and consent were, around milkshakes? <laughs> I know, that was their, meta- that was their metaphor for sexual consent, was, you know, if somebody forcing the milkshake onto you, which was all very bizarre, and God knows how much we paid. I, no, can't, rem- I can't remember the figure. But there was such an outcry... Uh, immediately and if you like, over if that. If you like milkshakes, how does that or fit into you, this? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was so very bizarre. But what my point is that the outcry was so massive that that advert came down very quickly. Mm. So you're right. Outcry does make a difference. And I guess that's the way out. I think it's the... Well, I don't know of any alternative. You know, I, I remember Bob Hawke years ago uh, stated that he thought that the best form of government was consensus, and he had this thing. Oh, I like that idea. He had this thing about you know if everybody can agree on something, then that's fine. I love that. This idea. takes a lot of negotiation. Yes. Of, well, so do I. Ultimately. Yes. But within a political structure where people are so poised to fight each other, it is unlikely you're ever going to get a consensus. You might get a consensus within a party people that generally think the same yes and as i understand it the uniting church in their synod their ruling ruling body 
that's what they aim for. But they also recognise that sometimes in order to get to a decision, some people might not agree, but they give up their disagreement for the sake of reaching mm. a decision, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. so they'll go along with it. I really like the idea of consensus. Well, I think it's something, I, I certainly agree with something to work towards. Is it a Rousseau, Rousseau idea? Rousseau, his is very participatory. Yeah, yeah. So Democracy. Well, and there's the other view that we all vote on everything. Yes. Yeah, like that would be damn time consuming <laughs> and cost more money than it's worth, I would imagine. Sometimes, um, I think in some ways they've tried to do that in South Australia and making it a bit more participatory in that I've had invitations, for example, to say what I think about a particular issue. And if I don't want to say anything, then I don't have to. And I quite like that idea too. And, and you know, to So canvassing fair, the population, I think, is a good idea. And we at the Child Protection Party often get requests to put submissions to parliamentary inquiries and stuff or to Senate inquiries. So and there's a lot of that sort of stuff goes on. You know, like I know there was one... Last year on disabilities, for example, a number of people participated in that. And there's a, there's a lot of information gathering that mm. can come from the community that yes. can help to inform decisions yes. that are made. But we don't vote on that. But the people that we elect do. Yes. And if we don't like... And this is, this is the problem. The problem is that our society is so apathetic about political involvement not the people on my twitter feed well i don't think that represents 100 percent of the population <laughs> though <laughs> but you know like generally the population is not interested in politics but they are the first ones to complain when things don't go their way but what's your evidence for that well it's anecdotal i can't say that okay. i have but my well what would your guess be that people, that people do not wish to get involved in politics, I, I don't. I don't disagree with that, that people are generally in Australia not necessarily involved in politics. I know some students, for example, who are very heavily involved in politics and a whole raft of them who are not. But I don't know that they complain when something goes wrong. It's the last bit of that that I'm not sure of. They, they complain if, uh, well, okay, just take child protection, for example. There's lots of people that have an issue around child protection. Go ahead, your kids removed? Okay. That is a concern. Ha but we're finding that there are so few, if any, of those people that would be prepared to get into politics to change the system that created mm. the children being removed in the first place. Mm. People and they'll complain. They call each other names and they call organisers. They call, you know they they out social workers and other stuff, and they get hot on the collar and they put up Facebook feeds and all that sort of stuff. But if they actually want to change the system, you've got to stop complaining about it mm. and actually do and something find out to change what to do. it and find out what yeah. you need to do to change it. Yes. And they don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I can't comment on that. Well, feel free not to comment. Not <laughs> I'm just thinking uh, around the young people that I know that many of them aren't actively involved in politics, but there are a few who who are, and that I can imagine is easily imagining them having political careers. Yeah, and those people that tend to, you know, 
the career politicians rise up through the Liberal Party, mm. through the Labor, young, young Labor, young Liberals, whatever, because they see it as a career move. Not necessarily because they can see the social issues Maybe. that need to be changed to a large extent either. And that they're not people that have those. And a lot of those people don't have those lived experiences. You, know, you often don't have those lived experiences if you've gone to Prince Alfred College or St Peter's or some other place. Yes. That enables you to go, or if you become a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, unless you've actually come from that bedrock, sad, disadvantaged type communities. Yes, I don't disagree with that, but I've got a couple of young people in mind, and they come from reasonably well off, as I understand it, um, but they are heavily involved in. Marxism and in the anti-poverty network and things like that. So I don't see them as the Prince Alfred and I'm not saying that. That's a quote. I don't mean that as a generalisation. I mean that mm. to a large well, maybe I do mean it as a generalisation. To a large extent, those people who get involved in politics um, are not those. Are those people and, and even <laughs> even people like um, you know, like the Pauline Hansons of this world and. You know, on one hand, and then there's the Cory Bernardis on the other. You know. So um, have you heard that they're going to resurrect the Family First yes, Party yes, in I, South Australia? I have heard that. But the, but there's Labor people involved in that, so that's very interesting to me because they're Catholics. Well, that's a, that's a Christian right, anyway. So it's the Christian right, yes, but it's the Labor version of it. I think some people forget that. Yeah, and they're not really interested in families; they're interested in their version of family. That's right, and it's which well. is very narrow. Yeah. And probably quite hypocritical, although I can't comment on those particular people. Um, yeah, yeah, we don't know whether they've severely had affairs, broken up families on their second relationship, have got stepkids or no. kids are living with their parent, <laughs> other parent. Or, and I'm not going to go poking you know? around in their family lives to find out. No, and why would we? Because they're, they're odd people anyway and they're not really all that relevant, I don't think. It reminds me of Barnaby Joyce and his... He was all sanctimonious about marriage when it came to same-sex marriage and, you know, that's just one form of marriage and blah, 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 blah. And then he has an affair with somebody and now he's got and a second marriage <laughs> or right. second relationship anyway. Yeah, so family first. So I think there's some interesting things going on because there's that going on in South Australia. But have you had a look at the new Liberal Party? Uh, yeah, I think we had a discussion a week or so ago about that, I'm trying to remember what came of it, um, and so they're they're endeavouring to get back to conservative values. No, aren't they? No, what they're saying is that the Liberal Party has become so conservative that it's not the intention of the Enlightenment small L liberal at all. It's become increasingly conservative, and therefore many liberals who are socially progressive don't feel as if they can fit in the Liberal Party because it's so conservative. So it's, it's very well, I much... Were, well, I thought they were concerned about uh, government spending, you know, the deficit being so high. No, not the new... Of... They might be. I've been more interested in their social policies and their, um, their ideas. I mean, they're, they're anti-holding refugees in detention for a great deal of time. They want to equalize you know we've got such a vast inequality between wealth in australia now and increasing not as bad as the united states but heading in that direction mm. so they're interested in decreasing that imbalance 
So they're concerned about they're the talking decreasing about middle class, or is that what they're saying? Or? Well, um, decreasing the disparity between the very rich and the very poor and redistributing some of that money through the system. Um, I was interested in a conversation today that I saw around moral courage. So the guy who's heading it up, Victor Klein, I think his name is, and a lawyer. Um, but I was interested in the fact that they use that term moral courage because that's something that I don't reckon I see very much of, that people are so busy compromising in order to get into politics or to get their position uh, recognised that they, I think, compromise sometimes on their ethics or whatever. Yeah, we see that. Uh, you see that primarily in American politics at the moment where you know, the Republican Party are siding so much with Trump even though they know that is an immoral and improper person, but they believe that, that he has this base which they need to rely on in order to remain in parliament. So they, so their morals and ethics go out the window because it is more important for them to suck up to him and his base than it is for them to take moral stands around issues that are important to the people they represent. Well, I, I started thinking about it in regards to the Brittany Higgins allegation and when we saw on Four Corners the security guard who was on duty that night and she kept on saying that the reason why she didn't do more to protect that woman etc was because she had a boss who told her to do this and she was just doing what mm. she was supposed to do and I was thinking if you had somebody for a start I don't believe that because I don't know any worker who just obediently ever obeys their boss fully completely anyway there's always if you're in the services, you do. Oh, well, that's just that's just anathema to me. <laughs> I've never worked in the services, and I've never known any worker to completely obey a boss. So what she said was foreign to me. But it also said to me that she didn't have that moral courage to say, I disagree what, with what you're saying, Mr. Manager person. I think we need to do more and risk her job. And I know everybody says... Well, she's still, you know, she has to have a job, et cetera, et cetera, and that's the risk. But but, what about the moral courage? Yeah, I agree. It takes heaps of courage. I know that I experienced that when I was going through my issues with Anglicare all those years ago. was, you know, do I make a stand? Yes. And then do, you know, do I lose my job? And then where do I go to from there? And I've got a family to support, all that sort of stuff. So those pressures are, are immense. Immense. I don't disagree with that, but... I think it's time we had a conversation about that and, and more protection for workers. So do, and we've got cases like that in Australia where whistleblowers are, are treated so, so badly. Well, we do have work cover and we do have the opportunity to contest occasions where we might be sacked. Yes, that's true. But I liked the fact that this party was willing to have that conversation about moral courage because it's not a conversation I normally see. Mm. No, in, fair in enough. Australia. So you're now voting for the new Liberals, are you? There won't be any point in voting no. for them in our seat because we're a Liberal, a Labour Party stronghold anyway. But I'm kind of curious to see how they go. And they're starting to look at particular seats and position people in there. For example, Peter Dutton's seat. Um, and so, and I think that would be good if we could get them to contest seats where there are some mm. fairly. I see him as a very nasty man. If we could contest, if they could contest some seats and oust some of the people who, I, I in my mind, well, do, only providing they, yeah, but yeah, providing they replace them with people also that are 
who are um, decent. That have got the moral courage that yeah, they're Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I know but that... But they're just opportunists, you know, the Corrid Bernardis of this world, oh, yes. Mark Latham's and people like that, are simply political opportunists. They're not interested in social justice no. reform or anything else. But no, well, it'd be interesting to see that because that's the flavour of the discussion so far, is that we are interested mm. in social justice. We are in interested in making some change we've had enough we're, we're liberal party people but we've had enough because mm. they're now so conservative we can't see ourselves as fitting in there and i don't think i've ever considered i that i would consider looking at a liberal party <laughs> of any flavor <laughs> any flavor so i um so i am i know they probably wouldn't put somebody in the seat where we are anyway um but I am curious, I'm interested to see how they go. Well, if they open up a different form of discussion around some of those things that perhaps we don't often think about, um, then, and they can get that message across, perhaps they have a chance of winning one or two seats. But it, but they won't be winning seats in uh, that many seats in the lower house. I mean, no, their opportunity would be, would in, the be in the Senate. Would be in the Senate, yes, yes. Yeah. Be interesting to see, though. Yeah. Well, go. that's been 36 minutes enough it is because and those people that'll be listening to this those thousands of people that tune into us they'll be saying enough already enough i'm over <laughs> this yeah just move on and you're boring as shit i don't know whether shit's boring actually but we'll have to think about that one um but yes so thanks for this conversation over coffee d thank Your you coffee Tony. i had uh, something else but i had coffee yeah so thanks, everybody, for listening for Conversations Over Coffee. And uh, follow us and tune in for our next edition. Take care, look after yourselves, and be safe.